Well, hey, everyone. My name is Pastor Ben, and I'm so excited to just have you joining us tonight for our Christmas Eve service here at Mitchell Berean. What an exciting thing that we get to gather together and celebrate our coming Savior, and, and you at home getting to join us in that. So uh, we, we just want to invite you to feel free to stand at home uh, and sing with us and, and be part with us in the service in whatever way you can. And you can jump into the comments. We'd love to talk to you about what's going on and hear what you're doing for Christmas and celebrate along with you. Over the last month, as a church, we've been looking at this series called Fear Not, looking at times when angels appeared during the Christmas story, and they would show up and and bring these great messages with good news and all these wonderful things, and people were terrified. Uh, But the angels also always came with this message of fear not, don't be afraid, because they bring good news of great joy, which will be for all people. And we're going to celebrate that tonight. I'm so excited to have you join in with us. So I'm not going to hold us up anymore. Why don't we go ahead and let's launch. Let's dive in together and worship God. In a little 
to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. We're so glad you've joined us here for Christmas Eve at Mitchell Berean. We want to let you know that we're just grateful to have you here and that you've chosen to spend the evening with us. We'll be going back and forth between music and singing throughout the night here. And uh, there will be an opportunity to respond to the powerful message that God has for us today. Also want to let you know that you can take advantage of the nursery upstairs for kids up through age three. If you'd like, you sure don't have to. There's also a comfort room uh, off to the side there behind the glass. If uh, nursing mothers would like to use that, um, you're absolutely welcome to do that. Um, would you stand with us and let's continue in worship? Would you help me welcome the Scottsbluff High School Orchestra? So happy to have them here with us. They've been doing an awesome job, and some of them have said they, they're ready for a nap because we've already done a couple services, but we're excited um, to do one more. Give it all we got, right? Okay, here we go. We're going to sing Angels We Have Heard on High. Oh 
Y'all can have a seat. 
Hey, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to join us to uh, slow down for a few minutes in this busy season and focus in on what Christmas is really all about, why we celebrate Christmas, uh, and why we gather together. Culturally, it's important to us, but why, do we, why does it matter that we come and take a few moments to slow down? You know, things get so busy uh, during the Christmas season that oftentimes we can miss even really important things. There was a lady who was frantically trying to get everything done for Christmas. She'd procrastinate a little bit, but she came down to the wire. Uh, she still hadn't sent out her Christmas cards, and she had 49 friends on her list. She needed some Christmas cards. If she didn't get them in the mail, they weren't going to get there on time. And so she rushed into the store um, in a mad, uh, a frantic dash. She found the Christmas card section, and there was a box of 50 cards, and she thought, that's going to do it for me. She grabbed the box, checked out, got home, uh, kind of frantically addressed all of them, them, you know, stuffed the envelope with the card, put a stamp on it, got it in the mail. Whew. I mean, she was relieved that she got it done. And so uh, the pace kept up through Christmas. Christmas Day, though, things kind of slowed down a little bit. And she was walking through the house. She noticed the one card she didn't send of the 50, right? Um, she just had 49 friends. So she grabbed that card. She sat on a minute and she opened it up. And kind of to her dismay, what it said on the inside of the card was, this card is just to say, a little gift is on the way. Now, I don't know about, don't know about you, but mistakes like that are kind of humiliating to me. They're embarrassing. Um, it proves and, and reveals to me and reminds me that I don't have it all together. You know, humiliation is not something that we usually see as a good thing. Um, we're trying to avoid it. I don't know if you've ever been humiliated. Okay, I know we've all been humiliated. What was the worst time you were humiliated? When was the last time? Um, <clears throat> Mr. Collins was a sixth grade teacher uh, in, uh, of Jefferson Elementary School, and he had um, a classroom of, uh, with some sixth grade boys in it that were pretty rambunctious and kind of thinking they were pretty important. See, sixth grade was the oldest in the elementary school, so these boys were the oldest. Some of them even had girlfriends in sixth grade, so they were pretty cool. And uh, I'm not sure, um, but I might have been one of these boys. But uh, this group of boys one day when Mr. Collins had recess duty or lunch duty, whatever it was, he was out of the classroom and he left one of the students in charge of keeping track of things to make sure that nothing got out of hand. And so this group of boys um, thought it would be fun to do something they'd been learning and, and kind of messing around with each other on the playground and stuff. Um, again, uh, I'm not saying I was, but I might have been one of these boys. But we had this deal we were doing. Um, uh, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but if you do it right, if you hold your hands just right, you can do a little kind of a whistle. Right? It's really a dove call. I don't know that we knew that. But we started doing this, and we were having a great time and laughing it up. And, and it was a blast. Um, and we thought it was harmless fun. However, Mr. Collins did find out. And he didn't think it was harmless fun. And the next thing we knew, we were in the principal's office and we were in big trouble. Um, that was pretty humiliating for a young man, again, not saying it was me, but it might have been, who had made it through his entire elementary career without ending up in the principal's office. Um, it was pretty uh, humiliating. Humiliation, again, is not something that we look for. It's better to gain humility, right, than to face humiliation. Humiliation usually stings because it hurts our pride. Um, it, uh, it makes us feel less than. Um, it can be useful, right? 
if you're a sixth grade boy, your pants are a little too, riches are a little too big for you, right? And so it couldn't be useful to remind you that Mr. Collins is in charge. That's okay. And it also can be okay uh, when it reminds us of our position before God. So humiliation can serve a purpose, but the truth is that God really isn't looking to humiliate us. That's not his plan. His character isn't such that he needs to demean people to feel important, right? That's not it. The truth is that when we are around God, when we're exposed to who God is, we are humbled because of our nature and relationship to his. We're humbled in his presence because of who we are and the reality of who he is. I think sometimes we mistake humiliation, which is really not that great, for humility, which is good. Perhaps this is where our fear comes from. You know the fear I'm talking about maybe, and that is the fear of being humble. In the world prior to Jesus, being humble was not seen as a positive thing. It was seen as a weakness. And so the world really didn't understand how humility could be a good thing, how it could really be a virtue that people sought to develop and build into their lives. And yet Jesus revealed that to the world. The truth is, and the fact is that humility is a character trait that God himself possesses. It comes from him. The God in whose image you are made himself is humble. The Bible, uh, or in the Bible, God is shown to be humble really primarily because of how he's willing to interact with those far beneath him, mainly us, his creation. Listen again to the account of the manner in which God came to the earth for which we celebrate Christmas. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was, when, uh, this was the first census that was taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. See, God is humble, and so he requires humility from us. Yet many of us in the human race have a fear of being humble. We can resist humility. And unfortunately, this destines us to be humiliated someday when we stand before God. In order to come to God, you must take the same posture that God himself took in coming to earth. For God, uh, for God to come to earth, in order for him to do so, humility was required. See, Jesus, who existed with God the Father for all eternity, and who the Bible tells us was the creator, had to humble himself in order to take on a body and become a man. John, uh, John's gospel reveals this to us in John 1. It goes this way. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life 
brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And so Jesus, as the creator, was destined to also be the savior of that creation. We need God in our lives. As human beings, desperately we need God. And part of the reason is we need to find salvation through him, but also we need to become more like him. In our humanness, apart from God's influence, we will excel in pride and we will fail in in humility. What would happen in your life this year if you were to embrace humility as a trait you wanted to grow in? What would happen if you were to put down pride and pick up humility instead? First of all, I know you would surrender to God's leadership in your life and you would follow him. But second of all, you would treat others, the people around you differently. There's some gifts, here's some gift ideas that you could give to the people in your life, but you can only do it if you were to embrace humility and their value is beyond any monetary quantifying. You might mend a quarrel with someone. You might dismiss suspicion. You might tell someone, I love you and sincerely mean it. You might give something away anonymously. Forgive someone who has treated you wrong. Turn wrath or, or turn away wrath with a soft answer. Visit someone in a nursing home. You might apologize if you were wrong. Be especially kind somebody, uh, kind to somebody who you work with. Give as God gave to you in Christ Jesus, without obligation or announcement or reservation or hypocrisy. Humility is required to glorify God and see as part of God's creation, the ones made in his image as human beings, we are required to reflect back to God his character, his uh, attributes, who he is. We must reflect back to him. Where do you stand with God? Have you humbled yourself before him? Will you overcome your fear of being humble in order to humble yourself before a God who created you. The fear that we have of being humble usually comes from the mistaken view that humility is weak. Let me assure you that humility takes far more strength than pride to exhibit. Pride is easy. Humility is not. Jesus came to us. He was born in a very lowly condition, obscured, unannounced, Nothing that matched who he truly was. And yet this is exactly how the real God of the universe would come. He came to us exhibiting the humility that our gods, the gods we create, lack. They're always full of pride. But the true God, the one who made us, the one who serves us, he came in humility. The truth is that the humility of God is what has brought joy to the world.
You may be seated. I absolutely love having the orchestra here. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Oh, it's just cool. Humility isn't something that we naturally or easily grasp, is it? We, we tend to struggle with this. And I think partly it's because we have a distorted view of ourselves and others. But mostly I think it's because our view of God is distorted. We, we think like the Jews at the time of Jesus' birth, that they had this idea that they could earn God's favor through their good works. And, and we buy into that lie that this display of our personal holiness makes us more like God than the people around us. But if you look back at the Garden of Eden to see what, what the original sin was with Adam and Eve and what tempted them, do you know what it was? The serpent said to them, you will be like God. This same lie that the enemy used to deceive Adam and Eve is the one that we also have bought into. That I can be like God through my own efforts. And and here's the thing you need to know though, you can't. We cannot become more like God through our good works because God is holy. He's perfect. He's clean. He's without blemish. He's set apart and we are not. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, here's what it says. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace and they have no fear of God at all. I don't know about you, but that's not really the way I would like to be described or introduced as I walk in a room, right? But, but here's the thing, when I'm honest with myself, and I think when we're all honest about it, we see that in us. We see that darkness, we see that bent that we have towards sin, and we know it's true. Even our good deeds end up being laced with a sinful, selfish desire to earn for ourselves favor, recognition, accolades, awards, or love. Not only are we unable to gain a godlike status, but we're born in opposition to God. We have sin running in our veins as it's passed down from generation to generation. Romans 3.23 takes it further and says, for everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. We've missed the mark, fallen short. We failed. Merry Christmas, right? (laughs) It's not really the message that we wanna hear on a day like today, but it is very important and there's such beauty in it as we look further. The beautiful thing is this, we don't have to become like God or earn from God or pay God back through any efforts of our own. We simply need to humble ourselves before him because he has made a way through Jesus for you. We see Jesus display this humility in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Here's what it says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus, the the only person ever born who could have been just like God because he is God. And he didn't even try to use that for his own advantage. He, He could have had anything he wanted, but instead he gave it all up. And for what? For you. He, he could have had all of it. He gave up, though, his heavenly throne to be laid in a manger. He gave up his praiseworthy position of, above all to be ridiculed, rejected, mocked. He gave up his eternal reign to die a criminal's death on a cross. And that criminal, that was me. That criminal was you. See, here's the thing. Pastor John was talking about how we are made in God's image. We are image bearers of God, and we're given this purpose in that. We're, we're designed in that way 
to be in a relationship with God, with the creator of the universe in a real, intimate, close relationship. But like we saw in scripture, we have a problem and that's sin. Sin is not just bad things I do, it's missing the mark. He had a glorious standard and I fell short of it. And because of my sin, I'm separated from God. So I have a purpose to be with God and because of sin, I cannot live in that purpose. So I try to be a good person, right? I try to do good things and and take care of of stuff and try to outweigh my bad with good, thinking that that'll work. But God says in the book of Isaiah that all of our good deeds that we give to him are like filthy rags. They're, They're useless when it comes to paying for our sins because God doesn't require good deeds. He requires the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so God in his love for us, for you, sent his son, Jesus. He humbled himself. He came low, he was born, laid in a manger, lived perfectly, and then gave himself up willingly on a cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of your sins, my sins. Now what's amazing is that everyone who trusts in him alone can have eternal life. Everyone who trusts in him alone, those words him alone are important to me because a lot of times we think that it's, oh, I I believe in Jesus and I'm a good person too, right? We think I I can add these two things together and it gets me a little further, but Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us this. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by your works so that no one can boast. See, it's not about what you do or how good you can be. It's about what he has done on your behalf. Jesus paid the full price and God accepted that payment. Now, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life and that life with Jesus starts the moment you put your faith in him and lasts forever. Nothing can separate you from God again because the debt is paid, paid in full by Jesus. And then God guarantees that payment to be permanent by giving you the Holy Spirit, God himself indwelling you, marking you and sealing you as his eternally. It's a guarantee that you will no longer spend a Christless eternity in hell, but you have eternity guaranteed as an inheritance in heaven with God to be brought back into the purpose you were created for through Jesus. That's what this season is all about. And if you're here tonight and and you realize that you have never put your faith in Jesus as the one and only way for you to be saved, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. So I'm gonna ask that we just bow our heads. We're gonna go before God and I'm gonna lead through a prayer here, but this this prayer doesn't save you. This isn't special, specific words. This is just saying what's going on in your heart to God. And if you are ready and have never put your faith in Christ, but you're ready tonight to do that, I ask you to just pray this with me. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark. I fell short. And because of my sin, God, I'm separated from you. But God, I also know that I was created to be with you. And out of your love for me, you have sent your son, Jesus, who came and died, paying the price that I owed for my sins so I could be brought back into a restored relationship with you through him. And God, I know that when he died, my full debt was paid. And I know that when you raised him from the dead three days later, you were declaring that that, that payment accepted on my behalf. And I know that through Jesus and him alone, I now have life that can never be taken from me. God, I'm trusting in Jesus, not my good works, no one else, just him knowing that he is the one and only way for me to be saved right here tonight.
with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask if you put your or prayed to put your faith in Jesus tonight. I'd like to know, not because I want to have a tally mark of numbers, but because we want to come alongside you. We want to partner with you and come alongside you to help you walk in this new faith. So if you're here tonight and you prayed to put your faith in Christ for the first time, would you do something bold for me and just really quickly raise up your hand so that we can connect with you? If you raised up your hand, I want you to come and see myself or Pastor John before you leave because we would really like to connect with you and and help you get connected to people who can come alongside you. Everybody, you can open your eyes now. Maybe you have uh, some questions still, and there's a paper in your chair that that talks about this. Maybe you have some questions about uh, what it means to put your faith in Christ. There's still some things holding you back you'd like answers on. Well, Pastor John and I would love to talk with you, and we put our information on this paper for you to reach out and talk to us. Maybe you did put your faith in Christ, and, and I don't get to connect with you after the service. If you could take just a moment to scan this little QR code and just send us your information through that so we can reach out to you because it's important that we come alongside you and follow up. This is what this season is about. Not that a baby was born, but that a savior has come. And what a joy it is that we get to celebrate that together.
First there was darkness, being left alone, abandoned, forgotten, to be lost from the ones by whose love you were brought in. Speaking over the chaos, confusion, and thought, there was comfort that came through two simple words, fear not. Your mother and father would speak them with regularity, all the while inside your mind was still seeking clarity as developments led you to fear falling down. Then came spiders and monsters and that weird-looking clown. The world seemed so full of joy, hope, and fun, but the overwhelming intensity would shout to you, run. Courage and confidence built through as you fought, and you would stand your ground repeating those words you heard, fear not. The material fears faded into the past with a new set of challenges rising too fast. Acceptance, will they like me? What if they don't? What if they do? Should I focus on school? Maybe a sport? Maybe two? What does it mean to be popular? Well, I know if I've made it, Dad says it doesn't matter, but I think he's just fading. Speaking of Dad, does, does he proud of my choices and my dreams? Do he and Mom still love me when I fail at things? Over and over and over, you hear in a world full of possibilities, but you fear it. You grow further, push harder, find things that you like, gain knowledge, gain wisdom, yet still face the fright. Will I be successful? Can I provide? Was this the right choice? But as you wrestle, no voice comes out over the noise. Those two words held such power and might, but the sources that spoke them have blacked out like the night. And you stand left alone without answers, just waiting, wondering why life just feels like it's fading. But I'm here to tell you a new source has come, one who doesn't disappear, fail, or run. So fear not, for a light has been brought to your darkness. Fear not, for there's hope for the one hurt by the heartless. Fear not, as abandonment's met with adoption, as one took on your punishment to give you an option. Fear not, these threats and rumors and lies. Fear not, for our God has looked down from the skies and sent us a Savior, willing to pay the cost, one who has come to seek and save the lost. Fear not, for this Jesus who gave up his life on a tree, was born to break all of our fears. Who is he? Well, imagine with me the transformational power that would come into our world if we would humble ourselves before God like our God. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi said these words, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What God requires of us 
is that we grow to be like him in humility. And amazing things happens when we humble ourselves, when we gain and acquire the character trait of humility. Something amazing happens through a group of people, and that is that unity shows up. See, harmony comes through humility. Our world needs to come together, and it begins with humility. Our world needs more of Jesus, in part because we need to move from death to life. We need to be saved, but also we need more of Jesus because, again, the more of Jesus we get, the more like him we become. And that transformation is something our world needs to experience. We need more humility. Our world needs a strong church as well. And strong churches are ones that are filled with people who are taking God's word and applying it into their daily life. There's transformation happening. There's change occurring. See, when God is at work in the lives of a people, they, they display more and more humility. Jesus shows us that path to humility. And what follows? He is elevated to a position of honor and prominence by God himself. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we're required to do in coming to God is to humble ourselves before him. When we do this, he can lift us up to a place of, um, of position where we can bring honor and glory to him. It's not a path to self-fulfillment, but it's the correct way. It's one where he puts us in a position where others are able to see the example we're setting so that we can point people to him. The Bible says that we should humble ourselves before God. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. We're to humble ourselves before God and allow him to do the lifting up. We need to elevate the character trait of humility in the world we live in. It's a world of self-promotion, self-awareness, self-praise, and yes, selfies. We, we could go on and on. Our focus on ourselves is far too great. We need to remember the absolute necessity of humility. Humility will bring civility to our world. It will bring grace and mercy and forgiveness in large doses, and our world needs a lot of that. Humility changes our view of a situation because it changes us. And so in, instead of looking at our situation through eyes that say, what should somebody else do? It allows us to take ownership and to step in and do something about it. Andrew Murray wrote these words about the power of humility in his life. He said, humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is for me to have no trouble, never to be fretted or vexed or irritated, sore or disappointed. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me and feel nothing done against me. It is to rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go, I can go in and shut the door and kneel before my father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around me is trouble. It is the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ's redemptive work on Calvary's cross manifest in those who belong to him 
and who are subject to his Holy Spirit. See, humility will cause me to say, what can I do to make things better, to fix a situation, to help not point the finger and say, what should somebody else do? Rather than coming with a, uh, with a perspective that says somebody else should fix this, I, in humility, can step in and serve regardless of what menial task needs to be done. See, God became man. God himself took on flesh. Jesus took on a body in order to serve us. Are you following Jesus' example? Are you growing in humility as you grow older in years? Have you developed a character to become lower, to be insignificant, to go unrecognized? Have you developed the character to serve? Humility comes from the character of God himself. See, God is humble, and therefore he is a servant. And serving is not a curse that falls to the lowest of a culture or class. It actually is reflective of those who are closer to being like God and reflecting his character and nature. Our world needs more humility. Will you allow the work of God on your behalf to humble you this Christmas season? Will you take up your cross and follow Jesus to develop a humble spirit The door of life, that is the door to eternal life, it's been said as a door of mystery, it becomes slightly shorter than the one who wishes to enter it. And thus, only he who bows in humility can cross its threshold. I pray that this Christmas, you and I will awaken to see the true humility that God himself has displayed for us. And that you will determine to grow in humility as a character trait in the coming year. Imagine how the world would change, how our community would change, how our church would change, how uh, your family would change, and even how your life would change if you and I would grasp what true humility is. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and she laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. On this quiet night, it was a holy night 2,000 years ago, the God who spoke the universe into existence came without fanfare, without accolades, and he came to bring us hope, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us life and peace. We're gonna sing Silent Night together. As we do, we're gonna light our candles We'll start up here at the front, and uh, I'll light my candle. The important instruction here with candles is they are real candles. And so how we do this matters, all right? So uh, when you want to light someone else's candle, you offer the flame to them, and they tip their candle to light it, right? If you have a lit candle, you never tip it, right? Then wax will go everywhere. Okay. So let's stand And let's join together. And you might want to move in a little bit if you need to, but we need to spread the flame and pass uh, the light to each other as we sing this song together. Silent night, holy night.
Well, we're going to have to blow out these candles. Okay, we can't leave here with them lit. But you don't have to put out your candle. We're supposed to be the light of the world, as Jesus called us to, to be different because he's in us. And so I'd encourage us all this Christmas season as we leave this place to continue to reflect him, to shine brighter uh, for him as we live our lives. But we do need to blow these out. So on the count of three, we'll all do it together. One, two, three. Hey, before you leave, a couple of things I want to make you aware of, just things going on here at Mitchell Berean. Um, want to encourage you to continue to grow as a new year arrives here in a week. Um, we have a sermon series starting the 1st of January called Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. And uh, some of you need to hear, no, it's, it's actually, this is, for, this is for the lies the devil tells us, all right? And there are many of them and what God's word actually says. And so we want to get grounded in the truth. We need to know the truth more than ever. And so I encourage you to come back for that. We've got a lot of classes going on, a revelation class on the end times. It's kind of encouraging and exciting for a lot of people as we live in, in interesting times. Um, also, we have a marriage class that's always good, love and respect. So anyway, a lot going on the first of the year. We have a, an app. You can take one of the uh, papers that you got and scan it with your phone and it'll take you to our church center app and show you all those things going on. Just want to encourage you to continue to grow as the new year arrives. This weekend, we will not have services tomorrow, uh, Saturday night service, but we will have two services on Sunday, 8 and 11. So I encourage you, of course, to come back for that. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great Christmas. Enjoy your time together, and we'll see you next time you're here. God bless you.